Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 114 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian, the Hydroid Crassus Gottlieb. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with broken bones, man. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm trying to mentally move past the broken bones currently. No, this is just like... So we do these top 10 shows, right? And sometimes as the weeks and months roll on, we're kind of like, oh, we really missed the boat on this card. Uh, we messed up here. But it takes time to reveal itself, and it gets sorted out. And then this week, just like playing a ton of new standard and loving it and finding all these amazing decks, the disrespect we showed Mr. Crassus, which is what I'll call him now because he deserves that kind of respect, is really unfathomable. (laughs) Made neither of our top 10 lists. Again, I knew this card was good. I, I have never downplayed this card in any sense, but it's so important to this format. It's going to be such a player. I've gone through this stage now where it's just like, well, how many of these other decks can I fit Crassus in? How many decks can I just build around maximizing Crassus? It's a very, very important card, a very powerful card. Uh, the fact that it's a cast trigger in a format that doesn't have a way to deal with a cast trigger is super impactful. And I just feel bad. I feel like we disrespected Mr. Crassus. I wanted to give him a shout out right at the start of the show. We did. I'll apologize too. I, I am very sorry, Mr. Crassus. As it turns out, a lot of the green decks in the format are pretty good at generating a bunch of extra resources, kind of thanks to the Explore Creatures as a whole, and Crassus is a very, very large mana sink, and that certainly helped a- along a decent amount by having Incubation Druid be able to make a bunch of mana whenever you want to. So, yeah, the Crassus is going to show up places, for sure. Yeah, lots of Crassus, and you know it's kind of easily spa- splashable across two different archetypes, right? If you're a blue deck, you get your green splash and then you're paid on Crassus. And we have good mana now. And if you're a green deck, the blue splash isn't a stretch. Like Golgari, which looks a lot like last season's Golgari decks, but now just includes Crassus, is a very real deck. It's very powerful. It's an important new angle for that deck to have access to. I'm sure we've all played the Golgari games where things are going long and you don't really have like, like you wait the top deck Vivian and Vivian's certainly super impactful in that situation. But what if you were just chaining Crassuses instead? That yeah, seems Crassus even better just to buries me. you. Crassus yeah. buries you in that spot for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here, and you know, before we were or before we record this podcast, I was like getting my article ready for Star City and everything, and I'm writing about the decks that I would be considering playing this weekend. And one of the decks that I just keep meaning to build around is something with Wayward Swordtooth and Crassus. Like I said, I think there's a bunch of synergies. Wayward Swordtooth in general, underexplored. And I think that's a kind of a hangover from the last format where the support pieces weren't there and dinosaurs were let down. But now it's time to use Mini Azusa and see what we can do with that card. I I think you're right that Crassus and Swordtooth might be best friends in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So 
This week's episode, as you might expect, uh, we're going through the first standard deckless dump, and we've been talking about this a long time on the podcast. Like we, we mention it very often, how there is a Hearthstone Twitter account that frequently retweets players who have good records with decks or reach legend with a certain deck or whatever. And because Arena is out there, and as far as right now is concerned, there isn't any posting of Arena data or decklist or anything. You know, Magic Online data started to shrink towards the end of last season and everything. We we started our own Twitter account, basically trying to copy the thing that the Hearthstone account was doing. So the account is at Arena Decklists on Twitter. And basically, if there is a deck on Twitter, someone posts like a nice screenshot that is easily shareable on social media. And they talk about, you know, how they hit Mythic or what their Mythic rank is or how how they're doing with the deck or whatever. Just like something to kind of show that this deck is viable. Or even if like you're not doing that well, you know, maybe you're winning like 52% of your games or something, but your deck is really sweet and really doing something different. You think there's something there. Uh, I will also probably retweet that as well. And if you're just looking for a bunch of information, like, you know, we're going to go through here on on the standard deck dump for Magic Online, that is the account for you. Absolutely. Is it bad form on my part to declare Arena Deckless my favorite Twitter account when I have a hand in running it? Because I just go through, like, I've tried to retweet things from that account myself, but I go through and see what you found every day. And I'm excited to see what Arena Deckless is putting out there. Uh, I, I feel bad for hyping it up that much when I have a hand in it, but this account's great. I love seeing what people are coming up with. And there's been so many cool decks coming off Arena that would kind of just be lost if someone wasn't doing this. And I'm glad right. you had the initiative to step up and fill this need. As it turns out, I like data a lot and I like technology. I like looking at these cool deck lists and things that uh, people come up with. And it, you know, if anyone has been following me for a while, they know that I'm always down to check out a brew. So if you are crushing it on arena and you kind of want like your own mini platform or something to, to get that deck out there by all means, like, you know, tweet a picture of your deck that looks good so that, you know, people can see it and the cards are recognizable and everything, stuff like that. I recommend using snipping tool rather than like print screening your entire screen or whatever, and just tweet at arena deck and I'll take a look for sure. Otherwise, mostly what I've been doing is just trolling like hashtag MTG Arena, hashtag Standard, hashtag Best of One, hashtag Mythic, you know, stuff like that. Like I've been going deep looking for these decks. And if there are uh, people who even just like tweet out a bunch of the deck lists that they're playing, like Rapo is an- another good person who I've retweeted a bunch and he's he's like longtime Magic Online grinder, Pro Tour player and stuff and always has sweet decks. Like I'm definitely going to give them a follow too. Yeah, I think it would be a good idea too if you want to get big points with the Arena Decklist crew and get us even more likely to retweet your list. If you include like a twit longer with the actual copy pasteable data from the Arena client, so people could just come through, copy, import into the client using all the handy dandy features, I think that would be a good habit for us all to get in when we're sharing decklists. Uh, I'm trying to do it in a lot of spaces now, include the actual arena output, because it does require a very specific way of listing the cards if you're going to import from your clipboard. So I think if our community gets used to sharing things in that fashion and always keeping that 
that shape of data around, it'll really be convenient for everyone to just real quick pop that into your, your arena account and be ready to go in just a few seconds. I agree. I do think that that makes that a lot easier for people because just like, you know, having to like alt tab back to a picture and, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, add three of this card for this card, whatever is very annoying. The clipboard thing is it's really good for ease of use and everything, but I'm also not going to require people to take that step. Like if people care enough, they will see the picture and they will build it themselves. But I agree if you want to go like the extra mile by all means, even just like respond to your own tweet if you can. Well, I guess it's probably too many characters to do that. So yeah, twit longer is probably what you want to do. Yeah, I think you have to use an expander like that, but it's doable. And like you said, not required, but I think a good way to earn some bonus points. So yeah, tweet at us, show us your tech, follow uh, that Twitter account. And we I, I'm retweeting like 10 deck lists per day or something. It's just kind of insane. Well, I think part of that is that there's so much to explore in this format. There's so many awesome decks out there. I feel like twice this week, I've woken up in the middle of the night and gone downstairs to my office to build decks because I can't get them out of my head. There's so many <laughs> ideas to explore, uh, so many incredible avenues. And I don't want to make premature statements, but I feel a lot of the same feelings I felt at the release of Return to Ravnica, where there was just infinite ways to build every deck. All the color combinations are viable. Uh, Now we're adding shards and guilds to the mix. And and there's so many avenues to explore that as long as nothing comes out and just completely dominates in week one and kind of puts everyone else to shame and makes all these other decks look silly, I think we're in for a really exciting format here. Well, uh, Mono Red is the obvious problem child with that whole potential scenario, I think. Uh, I was killed on turn three today by a mono red deck. That's not great. It's not great. It was crazy. It was crazy. Look, I think mono red is beatable. I I am actually not super scared of mono red. I think a lot of decks have the tools to contest it, but they are going to have some games where they just do incredible, incredible things and you're going to lose. And, you know, that's mono red. I, I don't think many people have been turned three. This was for, certainly the first time it happened to me. I expect it's a pretty rare experience, but uh, it can happen. This has to involve runaway Steamkin, right? Yeah. Yes, it did. Okay. I think that's the only way it can happen. Yeah, I was trying to come up with a scenario, but it's like, yeah, that card on turn two. But yep. anyway, uh, you want to get into the decks? Yeah, let's talk decks. First deck list is by... Tayo. So this is, uh, again, the first 5-0 deck list from Magic Online. And Tayo's deck is just straight Rakdos midrange. And kind of similar to what you saw from Ben White's mono-red midrange deck from the last format uh, for Direfleet Daredevil. Curves up to Siege Gang Commander, has treasure map for card advantage and to fuel Banefires and stuff. Except now that you have Blood Crypt, you don't have to play Rakdos Guildgate. Get to play things like the Eldest Reborn. Uh, this one has main deck duress, bedevil, and some bedeck bedazzles. A lot of bed stuff. Yeah, it's funny that these two uh, very good removal spells are so close in name with bedeck and bedevil and bedazzle. So many bees going on here. But yeah, you, I think you described this well. Uh, direct analog to those previous big red decks. Now they have a nice clean answer to things like a Danto Vanguard in the form of bedeck. Really, the upgrade here is the mana, right? Like being able to now get black, black reliably to do things like Bedevil. I mean, I don't know that the big red decks really had a huge vulnerability to Planeswalkers previously. 
And I actually don't think there's really all that many Planeswalkers being played right now. So I'm not sure that this was really a problem that needed solving. I, I mean, I think this deck is fine because this macro archetype is fine. I'm not sure that the black edition did a whole lot here. Duress is important. I, I think there's a lot of decks you do want duress against. But on the whole, this isn't revolutionary. This is just kind of like the next step from the big red decks. Yeah, uh, D- Duress adds a lot for trying to fight the Nexus decks and just control decks, Teferi decks in general, because the the clock for this deck is a lot slower than your traditional red decks. So generally, y- you need to interact with them a little bit. It's like right. take out their removal spell that could kill your Rekindling Phoenix and try and find a hole to punch through. And Teferi is a problem, especially for the list that played like Lava Coil and Shivan Fire versus any other burn spell. It's like you really didn't have a lot of ways to actually go after Teferi. So Bedevil helps that a little bit, although I don't necessarily think, especially in game ones, that you're a favorite going long against a control deck because you often have so many dead cards. But it does help with that, especially in the post-board configurations. And the black cards in general give you pretty clean outs to bigger creatures, things like Niv-Mizzet or Lyra or whatever that the big red deck would have previously struggled with. Yeah, and I don't think we should sleep on the fact that you also have access to Bedazzle now, which is a clean answer to Search for Escanto, which was a card that just buried these archetypes previously, where if Search for Escanto was online, you weren't going to do much. Granted, there's a pretty small window where you can Bedazzle. Like, basically, you need them tapped low, because if they're searching, they're going to have ample counter magic to deal with a Bedazzle. But it's instant, so you can find that window a lot of the times. And I I think this is a big card for these type of archetypes to get as well. Maybe not necessarily something like this, but if there's going to be successful Jondish control decks or even Mardu-ish control decks, Bedazzle could be a very important card there. You want to know something? Today I learned Bedazzle is an instant yeah. They don't make inst- instant stone rains very often. And I've I've actually like pick one, pack one this card several times, like five times or something between Magic Online and Arena. And I've mm-hmm. cast Bedazzle a few times, but at no point did I even consider the fact that it could be an instant. Yeah, I mean, some of these, it's funny how we train ourselves to think about cards and we shortcut them as, oh, this is an instant, oh, this is a sorcery. And then we just expect them to work that way. And you have this moment where you discover that's not the case uh, it usually happens to me in reverse a lot. Like in a limited format, I'll go to cast something and then find out it's a sorcery when I go to cast it in my opponent's end right. and lose the game on the spot, you know? So yeah, it doesn't usually work in the opposite direction, I think. Word. Uh, next deck is Coffee House Ryan, which is Brad Carpenter, I believe. And I think that there is a long, long, not very interesting story surrounding him selecting that screen name. But uh, this is fairly normal Selesnia and... Selesnya was picking up in popularity towards the end of last season and got some new tools, as did most green decks, in Incubation Druid and Growth Chamber Guardian. Good tools for this archetype. You know, it uses the mana of Incubation Druid better than a lot of other decks. Also, in conjunction with Ajani, you have a lot more ways to turn on Incubation Druid, which is good. Again, this is an archetype where I look at these decks and I go... I wonder if we can get some Crassus in here because you're talking about right. being able to consistently generate mana. And then I start thinking about using Song of Fraileys as well because you're going incredibly wide. What if in Don't that spot, it. no, no songs? Don't do not it. Not allowed? <laughs> no. It, it could be a trap. I will not apologize to Song of Fraileys. I, I wanted that card to be good. It's just only disappointed me. 
I've mostly felt the same. I know Nick Prince is going to be heartbroken to hear us talk about his beloved song this way, but uh, I've mostly been disappointed with it as well. But if there's a way to leverage that huge mana boost, I think that's kind of what was missing before because much of the multitudes didn't care. It wasn't relevant for much of the multitudes because you already had Convoke on that card. But if you're dealing with Crassus instead, now you maybe finally have an appropriate outlet for it. And then I've also been interested, you know, you look at a lot of the creatures present here, Everything but Venerated Loxodon is Militia Buglerable in this deck. That's interesting to me. Crassus also Buglerable. So I've kind of been spinning my wheels around this archetype a lot. I haven't found a build that I'm head over heels in love with. I think this is like the baseline stock build of Selesnya, and I think it's totally fine. This is a completely respectable deck. It got a lot of power upgrades. Uh, I don't think this will be the deck's final form, though. I think there's a lot more you can do here. Yeah, I agree. This looks like, you know, it's last week's deck with some new cards jammed in. Uh, Also worth noting is that Celestia in general has a higher density of multicolored cards, which makes Hero of Precinct 1 a very attractive option. Not necessarily alongside like Growth Chamber Guardian and all that sort of stuff. But like, again, that's another way that you can go. And I've been building a lot of Bant decks, some with Hero, some with Crassus, some without either. But for, for the most part, I found that these decks have a very, very difficult time against Mono Red because it, like you generally start playing on turn two and it's really difficult to gain traction against them. And you also don't have a great way to turn the corner. So they generally have a lot of time to just draw into a, a bunch of burn spells to finish you off. Obviously, Marsh is kind of the trump, but that's about it. Right. And I think you bring up a really important point and... That's been my baseline in this format. I, I need to figure out a way to survive against Mono Red. If I can't do that, probably not interested in the deck, uh, especially because I've been playing a ton of Arena and Mono Red is overrepresented on Arena. But I, I think is it'll it be though? super. Yeah, that's the thing is I think it'll also be super present when we go to Indianapolis this weekend. The deck got some really incredible tools. And like I said, I died on turn three. So if a deck is capable of doing that, even if that's its absolute nut draw, just that capability existing is a very scary place for Mono Red to be in. Agree for sure. I don't know what's going to happen with Mono Red exactly. I know that it is wildly represented on Arena, and some of that is because of its linear nature and the fact that in, in Best of One, people have like very little recourse against that sort of style of deck. Right. And Skewer the Critics was previewed kind of late, which also makes Light Up the Stage a lot better, and... Uh, that was one of the questions that we got asked this week is like, why didn't we like that card very much? Clearly it's busted, but the red decks before had like these clunky mana curves with like experimental frenzy and stuff. And now that you just have a bunch of, you know, one mana deal threes, it's like, oh, well, stage just gets so much better. Like the fact that both of those cards exist means that Monored's power level did actually go through the roof. Right. They've gotten much lower to the ground. And, you know, if people are wondering how I would build mono red. There's your answer. Like loads of one drops, super low to the ground, uh, light up the stage, skewer the critics. As much as I can to leverage those cheap spells, that's what I want to be doing. Experimental Frenzy in a lot of ways feels like the past. Not to say you won't use it maybe in sideboard games, but it's not what I'm building my deck around anymore. It's outdated. It's old hat. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And Austin Yost continually hovers in the top ranks of Mythic with his 18 land mono red deck. Right. He's been uh, sharing that over in the Discord and talking with everyone about his take on Mono Red. A lot of people picking it up and having a lot of success with it as well. So, Yeah, Spear Spewer, cool card, very strong against decks that are not the mirror, but 
but very, very bad in the mirror. So right, uh, right. Austin's take Austin's take is like A plus for me, at least for this week. But cool. Next deck is by Love P. We have 20 basic islands, some shitters, I guess. Is that that's what we're calling it, right? Yep, these are the shitters. Yep. A, a bunch of cards that were legal a month ago, except for a random gateway gateway sneak in the sideboard. So here's your chance. Do you now see an appropriate spot in the metagame for Mono Blue? Have things changed where you now believe this deck is able to exploit something in the format and gain a foothold and push its way into Tier 1? Not right now. I think Mono Red kind of makes the format shift in such a way that there are a lot of decks that are either playing a bunch of life gain removal spells, which this deck is fine at playing against, you know, things like Esper Control of the World. But the, the decks like that are that are playing a bunch of one drops and things like heroic reinforcements that just like turn the corner and kill you very quickly. Like Model Blue doesn't really want to play against other creature decks, you know? And I, I know that it's not as bad as it would seem and you know, if you have a bunch of like spell pierces and a reasonable clock, you're probably going to do okay against mono red. That was not necessarily the the problems that they had against the deck before. It was just like mono red could just kill all your creatures and like play this longer game, but it's a little tougher for them to do that now. So I don't know. I feel like the mono blue deck may have gotten like a little bit better against mono red, but mono red warps the format so that mono blue is pretty bad against everything else. I will say this deck is strong against nexus decks which i do think are a significant part of the format oh yeah so clock backed up with wizards retort spell pierce is really strong against those decks and that is now the home i see for mono blue for the first time i can identify a matchup i want to play mono blue in it's a check on the nexus decks although i do think you can build around that as a nexus deck but as far as stock lists go, I like Mono Blue's odds against the Nexus lists. Yeah, I would actually have to play it more against Mono Red. And it's like if you're passable against Mono Red and you crush Control and Nexus, like, yeah, maybe it's a good place to be. There are also definitely going to be some slower mid-range decks out there that are not very good against Mono Red, but like they're going to exist at least until people get their heads bashed in repeatedly and have to either switch archetypes or switch how they're building their decks and stuff. So this could actually right. be a good week for Mono Blue. We'll see. We'll see this weekend. Yeah, depends Depends where everyone else ends up. Right. Next deck is uh, by Zach Keeney, I think is how his name is pronounced. And Zach was actually the person who was doing well with Selesnya last season. He top-aided the Winter Invitational uh, for SCG playing Selesnya. And now he's got a little Bant deck that is weirder than the other Bant decks that I've seen. And I'm just going to go down the list of like, the cards that he's playing because it is kind of like this odd combination. So he's got uh, five planeswalkers, a Johnny Vivian Reed, 22 creatures, two deputy of detention and four copies of biogenic ooze growth chamber guardian, Hyd- hydroid crassus, Mr. Crassus. I'm sorry. Incubation Druid and Lana elves. And then three copies of growth spiral, three conclave tribunal, one Hadana's climb, one baffling and 25 lands. So just like an odd mix of cards, man. Yeah, big, big spells, big payoffs here. More powerful, I think you would say, than your typical take on Bant with loads of Planeswalkers as well as, let's go with Mrs. Crassus this time. I think Crassus is coming all genders, so we'll we'll play both sides of the coin here. I approve. But really, really powerful stuff and s- sinking into that mana engine a little bit. 
you know, a lot of decks are doing the four incubation druid, four land or else thing. And then you get there and it's like, well, what's going on with this top end? What am I doing with this? Why did I go through all this work to establish this mana base? And then I'm not sinking that mana into anything. Well, here we're going hard with four biogenic ooze for Hydroid Crassus. And I think there's some tension with like Biogenic Ooze and Tristani. And in a lot of spots, Tristani is going to win out. But in a setup like this, where you're not only Incubation Druiding and Lattimore Elving, but Growth Spiraling as well, your mana is getting out of control pretty quickly. I can see the appeal of Biogenic Ooze in that spot as opposed to something like Tristani. So I like what's going on here. Again, I like powerful takes at the start of a format. And this is certainly very high on the power scale. Like you said, though, what is this deck doing against Mono Red? Also, our five drop dies to a shock. So that's a really scary spot to be in against Mono Red. I don't think you're going to come to a lot of points where they have a shock in their hand when you've played your Biogenic Ooze. But still, I I do think this deck has some concerns against Mono Red. And we're trying to address that in the sideboard when we bring in four Knight of Autumn, three Lyra Dawnbringer, two Shalai, and probably a Baffling End as well, and really shore up that matchup. Uh, but you're giving up your game ones pretty hard, I think. Yeah, I agree. I also just have not been impressed by Biogenic Ooze at all. I think it has the capability to take over a game, but at that mana cost, like, you better. Otherwise, I'm not really interested in you as a card. I've been impressed with it in Sealed, which probably should go without saying. But I, I think the competition with Tristani, most times I'm leaning towards Tristani. Although in this instance, I understand why you would slant towards Ooze at least to begin with. Um, and there's probably some other five drops we should be considering in that slot as well. I don't know if it's just a one or the other type situation. There's so many good options all up and down the mana curve in all of these colors. I don't want to really lock anything out. So yeah, I, I don't know about Biogenic Ooze. I'd have to play more with this deck to say whether I was in favor of it or not here. Word. Next deck is from HZK, and they are playing basically Gruel with a small-ish white splash for Night of Autumn and Aurelia. Uh, also of note, a, a lot of flyers like Rekindling Phoenix, Gargan Hellkite, the aforementioned Aurelias, which is a plan I like a lot, especially because cards like Biogenic Ooze, like we were talking about before, I found that the, the ground just stalls. You know, there, there are like a lot of green decks, a lot of mid-range decks, and just having flying is so key, especially for being able to race Monored because they end up with like, you know, a Giju Lava Runner that can no longer attack or even a Runaway Steamkin. But having those chump blockers gives them enough time to actually get an extra draw step or two and try and find that final burn spell. And Rekindling Phoenix Scargan Hellkite is a clock that they effectively can't deal with. Yeah, I'm happy to see Scargan Hellkite getting the full run here. It seems like this card has been picked up en masse, and I, I like to see that. I think this was a card that was slept on to some extent during the preview season just because of its comparison to past cards. But Scargan Hellkite has proven its worth early on in this format. A lot of these bigger, meatier, monsters-ish type decks are really leaning on the card as their finishing tool, and I think rightfully so. I do too. Interesting approach to main deck Knight of Autumn here. Like We're only dealing with six main deck white cards. There are four Knight of Autumns, two Aurelias, and that's enough to say this splash is worth it. I think that's spot on. Like One of the things I keep coming across in my games is just how impactful enchantments are right now. To that end, I've really fallen in love with Mortify as my removal spell of choice when I, when I have access to it. Uh, being able to just deal with problematic enchantments such as Wilderness Reclamation, Ixalan's Binding, the list really goes on and on. There's so many enchantments that are impactful right now. 
main deck might have Night of Autumn could be something we see more going forward in the format. Gruel in general is just a little on the slow side for fighting Nexus, I think. You basically give them like a lot of time to set up and then have some sort of fog or whatever else their defensive tool is. So I think having a disenchant in your main deck is kind of key to actually beating them. And you see like their early removal is shock and lightning strikes. So they they have ways to actually close out a game too. Yeah, I have said, I've, I've obviously played an incredible amount of Nexus of Fate over the past week. There is literal no deck I'd rather face than a Naya, like bigger Naya deck with Nexus. It's one of the easiest possible matchups. I think Night of Autumn is a step in the right direction and a necessary concession. That alone is probably not fixing the matchup, especially because I can often just play Wilderness Reclamation and then win without ever passing the turn back to give them an opportunity to play Night of Autumn. So... I, I think this deck does struggle there. Probably needs some more help out of the sideboard. I would look for some like canopies or cinder vines or, or something more if I was really invested in this Naya archetype to make sure I had some outs against the Nexus decks. Yeah, cinder vines is nice against that deck. It's not great against everyone else, but. Right. Well, I think. So I think people expected cinder vines to kind of win the game on its own. And that's not how the card works, but it's just good to have like Seal of Primordium in play, essentially, like to always just be able to leave one mana up. And that's your way of instantly disrupting any kind of shenanigans that could go on. It basically closes off all future wilderness reclamations while it's on the table. And that means a lot more than the incidental damage you're picking up from Cinder Vines. So I, I just I'm randomly glancing at prices or whatever. I see that Hydroid Crassus is like 30 tickets on Magic Online. Yep, this, I mean, this was the spec. This is what we should have given out last week is load up on those Crassies because that's that's about it as far as this car, this sets value on Magic Online. Values are way down because people aren't playing a ton of standard, but Crassus is holding everyone up at 30 tickets. God, that is so wild. I'm trying to check my SCG pre-orders to figure out if I pre-ordered them. I'm pretty sure I did because the price Fingers was kind of low. But Fingers crossed. I'll figure out when I get to Indianapolis. Next deck is from the Hissing Quagmire, and unsurprisingly, they have Overgrown Tomb in their deck, but they also have some Breeding Pools, some normal Golgari shenanigans, and wow, three Hydroid Crassus at the top end. Weird. I mean, nailed it. I, I think this deck is <laughs> legitimately great. Like, just awesome take. This is what the Golgari deck should look like in week one. It would not surprise me if this deck won... Indianapolis. I think this is a proven archetype. It has the tools to adapt to everyone. I love that we're doing duress and negate out of the sideboard. That's going to probably give these decks game enough against the Nexus deck, which is important. You need it. Yeah, you need it. And we're still doing the wild growth walker stuff too, which is super key against these red decks. You know, it's not enough in and of itself, but it's a start. You have to start there or these decks will never keep pace with mono red and i saw a lot of people being like oh we should be doing growth chamber guardian now i just don't think you can i I don't think it's even close to being a consideration wild growth walker is too essential to this archetype success right not right now i do think that growth chamber guardian will have its place at some point last season wild growth walker was in and out of the main decks of golgari but now it's just four copies you have to play the other explore cards you see a lot of people like the Hissing Quagmire also playing the Ninth Explore card in Seeker Squire just to make sure that they can get those Wild Growth Walker triggers when it does actually come up. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Uh, one of the things I will note is that I've seen 
some lists, uh, specifically like the, the arena ones where they go a little bit deeper than just taking stock Golgari and adding Crassus, where they have some amount of incubation druids to fuel it. They might play frilled mystic. And then obviously you have to get rid of, uh, you know, your swamps and memorial to follies and stuff like that. But frilled mystic gives you a little bit of game in the first game against the Nexus decks and everything. And then there's like right. some Hadana's climbs to maybe turn on your incubation druid like a little bit earlier than schedule because turn two druid turn three climb with any sort of card that you can cast off the three mana from oh, druid yeah. on the same turn is is Crazy. it's the nut draw god forbid you untap and then like have a hydroid crassus or whatever it's just like you're off to the races you're just doing busted things compared to what your opponent's doing uh so i could see this deck going down a little bit of a deeper direction but i found that when i did that it's like well I'm not really trying to grind against these control decks. Like I don't need Midnight Reaper or whatever. And Midnight Reaper was mostly a way to recover from Deafening Clarion. And now there's like Kaya's Wrath 2 that you have to worry about. But if you just have Frilled Mystic and uh, Hadana's Climb and Hydroid Crasses and stuff, I don't think you need that sort of interaction. So it was like, okay, then I'm left with Ravenous Chupacabra and Vraska's Contempt. I'm like blue-green splashing some double black cards. Obviously, find Finality is incredible for a lot of the stuff this deck is doing, especially if you add Frilled Mystic and Hydroid Crassus to the list. But it's like, is this deck really supposed to have black in it at that point? I think that's a fair question. And my my instinct is like probably a splash is worth a lot, but it's supposed to look like kind of the inverse of what we see here, where as opposed to splashing for Hydroid Crassus, maybe you're splashing for like just the backside of Fine Finality or... I don't know. I, th- I like Assassin's Trophy a lot right now. I mentioned enchantments and how important they are to deal with. My arena list is playing a couple of copies of Assassin's Trophy, but I'm playing best of one. I always want to make that distinction when I'm talking yep. about a best of yep. one list because I, I think that you know they're fundamentally different formats and some of the considerations you have to make in best of one won't necessarily carry over to the best of three scenario. But I have been happy to have Assassin's Trophy in my main deck. And I think that may carry over to just the typical best of three format. Yeah, but you're talking about splashing finality and or trophy, right? But you could also just make the case that something like Bant would be stronger and you get deputy of detention and right. stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I just kind of went down this rabbit hole where I was playing some with Golgari's Splash Crassus and then saw like the Frilled Mystic deck that looked pretty good, but it just got to the point where I'm like, why are the black cards even in here? You know, at the end of the day, I was just like, this shell is incredible. Like the, the explore shell, land war elves, hydroid crasses on the top end. Maybe you play incubation druid and uh, the Hadana's climb sort of nonsense. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think you might actually just have better options than the black cards now. Right. I, I guess I'll also point out as one more thing Four color is not out of the question when it comes to something like fine finality. It's very easy to lean on the green side for the front half and just have a tiny, tiny pinch of black somewhere in your deck. And I mean, if you're leaning hard on Hadana's climb, you can get it that way, right? If that's something you think you're going to be reliably flipping. So I don't hate fine finality in that scenario either, where it's often just returning hydroid crassus, but it also has that once in a while bail you out with the backside finality. I think that's totally acceptable too. So maybe we'll just see something like Bant splashing fine finality as time goes on. Yeah, this feels like the format and specifically the week two, where if Andrew Shrout were playing a bunch of tournament magic, he would build some like 
binder brew band deck and just smash everyone like he did with prime speaker Zagana, I think a while ago. Yeah, I could buy it. It's kind of like Golgari cards in my binder from the previous format. Now it's, it's still basically the same idea, except it's more like green cards in my binder and all the things that support them. Right. So next deck is by get smart and they're playing a nice little Esper control deck. I actually like the look of this deck because trying to play Kaya's Wrath is not as easy it would as it would seem because you're also kind of incentivized now that you're an expert to play Absorb. And once you're playing Absorb, you kind of want 18 blue sources, but you only have 16 blue sources in dual lands. So then you're like, oh, well, maybe I should play like an island or two. But Kaya's Wrath on turn four and Kaya's Wrath on turn five are just a world of difference. And this list is, for better or worse, just not playing any copies of Absorb at all. And basically just a white-black control deck uh, with some blue card drawing to fairies and the like. Yeah, a little splash, a little bit of counter magic. We do have the main deck negates, which I think are important. Don't have any experience with this archetype yet, so I I don't really have a strong opinion as it stands right now. It's good. I would assume you're set up pretty well against all the mid-rangey creature decks. I, I think your job is to exploit them. I have to ask, though, as those decks add more and more Crassus and more means of just grinding with you if it's going to be able to hold pace. It's one of my concerns with control right now. I have a a band control list that I'm really very fond of built around Wilderness Reclamation and does very powerful things, you know, turn four to fairy with a lot of good backup, plenty of sweepers, card advantage, and I'm just like... Man, if I have to go like 20 turns against a deck that's capable of recurring Crassus and I have no means to fight over that source of card advantage, can I really do that? And I think that's a fair question and one that these control decks are going to have to answer. I have the sense that a deck like this is uniquely positioned because of Thought Erasure. They can proactively get those Crassus out of hand as opposed to let them go on the stack. And Thought Erasure seems like an important card for decks that want to play a controlling game right now. I agree, absolutely. It is weird that both Crassus and Mono Red kind of push the control decks in a position where they have to kill their opponent. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. And it's it's hard to do so super efficiently from these decks. That's what I'm finding. There's nothing I'm completely over the moon about as a quick kill condition besides Nexus of Fate, but I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, uh, Control basically has lost inevitability for the most part. So That's how it feels to me too. I don't like the idea of playing something like Lyra main deck because it's pretty bad in mirrors and pretty bad against the Nexus decks, but you just need it against everyone else. And that, that's the best card I found, but maybe there's something better. Well, I think one interesting approach is just trying to be more attrition-y. So a card I've been very down on in the past, uh, Disinformation Campaign, but one of the Esper decks I've been playing a lot has been this weirdo thing that uh, Will Pullen brought to me. And it's it basically is a lot of Basilica. What is it? Basilica Bellhaunt? Is that what the white, white, black, yeah, black so, card is called? Uh, Wyatt Darby was the first person I saw streaming that Esper midrange deck. And it was like Hero Precinct 1, four copies of Basilica Bellhaunt. And mm-hmm. then Seth picked it up. And now it's just kind of like all over the place on Arena, a little bit on Magic Online. I think it is the exact last deck in this deck dump. Oh, interesting. I didn't know we were getting to it at the end here. So I'll save it. We can talk about that when we get to the end. Yeah, but uh, Bell Haunt is tight. Hero Precinct 1. Eh, Hero might actually be the clock that you want, actually. So I was actually disappointed with Hero in the deck. Again, we'll talk more when we get to that point. We don't need okay. to rush it now. 
All right, next deck is by Ryume. This is a very simple, straightforward gruel deck. You can generally tell the difference between these gruel decks based on whether or not they have Zertog Goblin, because a mm-hmm. lot of them have uh, Grow Chamber Guardian as one of their two drops. This one has Merfolk Branchwalker. And then uh, I have, I've tried Crawl Harpooner with uh, right. Rhythm of the Wild and stuff. But yeah, Zyrtok Goblin is really the one where it's just like, oh, this person is like trying to kill me pretty quickly. And sure enough, Ryume has Lightning Strikes and Shocks and not a whole lot on the top end besides the Hellkites, like no Galtas or nothing going longer than that. Right. This is the kill him quick version of Gruul. Four, 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 eight, eight, four, four. The cleanest possible deck list you could have. So... One of the things I want to talk about, this is the second gruel list we've looked at now. No main deck Rhythm of the Wild in either. What do you think about that? I've been playing two different gruel decks. One is Rhythm, and the other is uh, the Collision Colossus Thud deck, which is the one of the two that has Zyrtog Goblin. The other one has Thorn Lieutenant as a brick wall against Mono Red. And mm. I, th- I think I like the Rhythm one a little bit better, like, uh, Colossus plus Thud just gives you a ton of reach and allows you to kill very quickly against Mono Red. But I found that basically if you just play Thorn Lieutenant into a four toughness thing, uh, either Gruul, Spellbreaker, or Thrashing Brontodon, like you're not taking a lot of creature damage, and then you you generally have a little bit of a buffer window to kind of set up and like play out your Rekindling Phoenix and what have you, because they haven't gotten in that early damage and they can't necessarily burn you out from 20 with just their spells. And then you also have things that are just stupid, like Rhythm of the Wild plus Galta, which is, it's game over against everyone, really, but especially Mono Red. Right, yeah, that's a silly, silly interaction. Uh, I, I think one of the things that's becoming clear is that Rhythm of the Wild isn't just a gruel card, it's a specific gruel deck that's designed to maximize Rhythm of the Wild. Uh, it doesn't go in every take on Gruul, but where it's maximized with things like Galta, which you mentioned, that's where it's really going to shine. It's good to see people figure that out quickly, where we're not still just jamming all the copies in our deck because it's a very powerful card, which it unquestionably is, but it's one that requires some work. Yeah, and, and this one has eight burn spells in Shock and Lightning Strike. Uh, the other one, I think, had six or something, and I haven't really tried to play those cards. Ooh, I just noticed something. This deck has no Llanowar Elves. That's true. That's true. We're looking to go bigger than that. Yeah. I kind of considered Llanowar Elves to be not very cuttable when you're trying to play Rekindling Phoenix and Skargan Hellkite, but having a shock to slow down the game kind of accomplishes the same thing against a lot of people. And if you have Llanowar Elves, I really don't like having a bunch of potentially weak cards that you can draw alongside each other. So sometimes you draw like two shocks in a Llanowar Elves against control, and then your draw is just so anemic. So I generally haven't been playing uh, the spot removal spells in my deck because either I'm like this, uh, you know, teamer battle rage deck or I'm this rhythm of wilds deck where I just want a bunch of creatures and stuff. So this deck is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's why we're branch walkering and jade light rangering in a spot where I, I'm not sure all the other gruel decks are always doing that. They're often looking to other cards, not the explore cards, but this deck is leveraging those a bit harder than some of the other gruel builds I've seen. Yeah. And it is worth noting that both of these decks do have some amount of Rhythm of the Wilds in their sideboard. So they're very cognizant that that is a real card against, you know, mostly the controlling decks, the Kai's Wrath decks. 
Yep, four Cinder Vines in the sideboard of this deck, too. Good call, Ryan May. Oh, yeah. Uh, next deck is by Mountain Master 13. And they only have three mountains in their deck, but I'll allow it. This is a teamer, big-ish, mid-range kind of deck. Uh, a couple of Hydroid Crassus. Also, some Ravager Worms, some Domries. Uh, only two Incubation Druids, which is kind of surprising, but no big deal. Three District Guide, also as a notable inclusion. Not a card we've seen much of lately, District Guide. Uh, seemingly doing the Jade Light Ranger type thing, just making sure this deck hits its land drops. And I think that's smart. I think that's an important thing to make sure you're doing in these decks, especially as you go down the uh, Hydroid Crassus, in this case, Ravager Worm, Rabbit Hole. Uh, this deck is big. It requires a lot of mana. It's it's mana hungry all across the place. You know, it's got its growth chamber guardians that are happy to have mana spent on them. It's got Skargan Hellkite, which is happy to be a mana sink. So I, I like District Guide here, a card we haven't seen much of lately, but this seems like a good spot for it. I've mostly been using Adventurous Impulse to kind of smooth out my draws and help me both have a good curve and get to five mana for Skargan Hellkite. Also getting like RR has been sort of difficult sometimes. But District Guide in a deck where you feel like you don't need to play an X4 on turn three is completely reasonable with a lot of the decks that I've been playing. I just feel like my mono red matchup kind of hinges on whether or not I play an X4 on turn three. So District Guide doesn't make the cut. And for a lot of the decks like Golgarian stuff, it's like you just play Jade Light Ranger. That gives you some extra card drawing. That card drawing is going to be good enough to fix your mana. And you should really basically only see district guide in these, these very hard three color decks. And I think that's basically what's going on here where it's like, I'm not playing a ton of blue sources. I'm not playing a ton of red sources, but I do have these blue cards I need to cast. And I have these RR cards that I need to cast. So district guide is actually fixing you. Whereas Jade light Ranger sometimes fixes you, but mostly just helps you hit your land drops. Right, and it's, it's saving you a couple shock lands too, because in this three color deck, we're only looking at eight shocks, whereas I think the average is probably somewhere closer to ten or eleven, uh, and we're able to skip the second set of blue shocks because of the inclusion of district guide. So, yeah, kind also, of its also no own way of mitigating the life damage for sure. Yep. Next deck is by Max Attack. This is twenty two basic mountains. Some interesting things about this deck where. There are four copies of Experimental Frenzy, four light up the stage, no Flame of Keld, no Risk Factor, only two Skewer the Critics, and no Fanatical Firebrand. So there's Runaway Steamkin and Goblin Chain Whirler, and from the arena list that I've been seeing, one of them is getting cut to fit in all these like high-powered burn spells, or high-powered spectacle spells, really. And Steamkin I haven't really liked because of mirror matches, Chain Whirler's kind of falling out of favor in general just because it's like sort of weaker against the field. But now I'm coming back around on Steamkin because you need the early pressure against these mid-range decks who have like kind of figured out how to play an X4 to brick wall you. And now you just need a mm -hmm. thing to punch through that early. Yeah, I think where I start with this deck list, I cut a few lands. I cut these Experimental Frenzy. I max out Skewer the Critics. I move everything lower. Uh, just like you said, I consider either Flame of Keld uh, or Risk Factor. I've, I've been actually impressed by Risk Factor a lot more in this format. It seems to be what these decks want now. I don't know if I can put my finger exactly on why that changes. I, I guess it's probably related to the lower mana curve. Like if you can Risk Factor and do something in the same turn, that's very important. 
Uh, whereas I think before risk factor was never quite as good as we wanted it to be because it cost an entire turn. You're more likely to get some return here. And I think runaway steam can is also part of that equation too, where like you have all these one drops now, make sure you're maximizing runaway steam can with it. Make sure you're able to play all the spells you reveal with light up the stage, have these incredible chaining turns. And so this deck is close. It's a powerful deck. I, I don't think it's the best build of mono red anymore. They're supposed to look a little bit lower to the ground than this. You shut your mouth. Risk Factor is great. No, I I agree. I, I've been impressed by Risk Factor. Even I just can't tell season. you exactly why. No, last season it was not as no, great. No, it was great. Come on, so, you don't believe that. I do. I was advocating for four Risk Factor mono red and zero frenzies at the end of last season. I think I was right. Yeah, anyway. I guess by the end you had shifted to that point. It's neither here nor there, but it, it was better against Golgari and Is it Drakes, so game, you know? But... Yeah, I think having a lower curve certainly helps. The fact that they have more burn spells certainly helps too. And basically every card in the deck, no matter when you draw it, is going to deal some amount of damage. So it's it's basically just like a philosophy of fire thing where against the decks last season, it's like, yeah, you could let them draw three cards and they would draw like some frenzies that were too slow, some runaway steamkins that don't deal you damage. Maybe they had like lava coils in their main deck and stuff. Now they draw three cards, especially in the 18 land decks. It's like, it's just going to be fire. It is all mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. And since they have so much burn, they are able to put you in range quicker, which means that risk factor people can't just automatically hit the pay for life button, you know? So like you just end up drawing three cards a lot and, more than once, sadly, on Arena, they have drawn three cards and just dealt me nine damage or whatever. So card is super strong the the more burn heavy your deck is. Yeah, you're spot on. I'm I'm finding myself clicking the draw three cards button much earlier in the game now than I used to in the past, where you could kind of get away with paying the four for a while. That's not as true as it used to be. So that's a good sign that risk factors doing a lot more. Yeah, and it's also just more punishing when they draw three cards. So, like, the, right. the red decks are just getting the best of both worlds from it. And, you know, we're we're kind of, like, living through the consequences of that, where it's like, anytime they put it on the stack, you're just like, God, this is going to go so bad for me either way. Whereas before, you're just like, yes, obviously I pay four. Or, yes, obviously mm. you draw three cards because most of them are going to be bricks, you know? So, card is actually yeah. just really strong now. I'm with you. Next deck is a nice one. By Kumazemi, this is uh, Teamer Vanifar, four copies of Rhythm of the Wild, also four copies of Adventurous Impulse, 23 land, bunch of creatures, and Kumazemi found some cool stuff to do with their deck, like three copies of Sailor of Means, going all the way up to Palaka Worm, uh, also has a bunch of Biogenic Oozes, which when I wrote my Vanifar article, I don't believe was previewed yet, but uh, if you're not aware yet... Uh, Vanifar is an ooze, so Biogenic Ooze is going to pump that thing in a turn, which is like, you know, small value, but it's cool. Uh, sure. So yeah, this this deck is pretty nice. Uh, I, I don't think it's particularly good against Mono Red, but it, it's one of those decks where it's like, oh man, like all these pieces got figured out so quickly, and it, it's just, it's cool. I'm glad that this deck exists and that people found it right away. Yeah, I think uh, Sailor of Means was a big pickup here as far as being able to possibly survive against mono red. I still think this deck is going to struggle in that spot. One of the things I want to see these Vanifar decks do more of, like this is going to come as a big shock. Mrs. Crassus. There's the five drop legend, which acts as a personal mana flare. Nikia. I feel like that card is so underexplored in this archetype because you 
pot it into play and you have all your lands untapped. And you can just go to town with a huge Crassus right on the spot and basically run away with the game. Uh, or you could pump a bunch of oozes out. You know, whatever mana sink you're utilizing, you're able to put to positive effect right away. And I haven't seen too much going on with that card in these Vanifar decks. I want to see more of that. Uh, I hope these decks are a player in the format because they're so cool. I've seen that a little bit. I, I think it was Brad Nelson who I saw streaming with that sort of combo. It didn't seem very reliable to me because Vanifar has to live, which isn't a guarantee. And then mm. you also just need to have the, the thing in your drop. hand. Yeah, and the Crassus in hand, yeah. So Militia Bugler could kind of set it up, but then you're splashing either for Crassus or Nikia, and that didn't seem great. But I actually think it's pretty doable if you play four copies of Adventurous Impulse. Which this deck does. And let's not forget, right. too, there's there's 10 mana dorks here. It's not like you don't have access to mana absent the legend. There, there's plenty of ways to generate large sums of mana that could cash in on a big body like that. And Sailor Means. That helps, too. Right. Good point. I don't know. I, I feel like this deck does... It doesn't kill people outright like Pod does or whatever, but you definitely put them in very dangerous spots uh, mm. with Rhythm of the Wild, where it's like you get to play Vanifar, give it haste, and then do some stuff. Or uh, in the version that you're kind of talking about, you could like Vanifar. And granted, you have to pot away a four to get Nikia. So it means, yeah, you need two four drops. But then you just have 10 or 12 mana or whatever. And you just get to go ham. Get to do whatever yeah. you want. If you have Rhythm of the Wild on the battlefield, like that is basically game. Should be. Certainly should be. So powerful deck. Uh, needs to solve the mono red matchup, which may or may not actually be solvable. Who knows? Next deck is from Oaf McNamara, and this is just straight Simic. 12 forests, 3 islands, 8 dual lands, Hadana's Climb, Incubation, Vivian Reed, and then kind of the shell that I was talking about earlier where uh, he has Incubation Druid, Hydroid Crassus, but also manages to include the Explore package. Looks great. I, I like this approach. I, I would love to play some games with this deck. Uh, I like Incubation as some cool glue to hold it all together. Uh, this deck is going to chain Hydroid Crassus very, very hard. It's got the package it needs to hold up against Mono Red. This deck just might be very, very good. Definitely deserves some respect. Yeah, Frilled Mystic is the card that I've seen pop up in these decks, but 12 Forests and 3 Islands isn't great for that, obviously. That could potentially change. Right. Doesn't have a whole lot of interaction, either for you know the battlefield or the stack so it's possible that mono red anything with scargan hellkite anything that's casting nexus fate like those could potentially be issues i guess there's vivian reed for hellkite specifically but incongruity is there too I, yeah i know it's just, i don't necessarily want to bank on that being an answer but no i understand uh, yeah and i mean you could activate your transform to Donna's climb to block a flyer or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's probably sure. not really happening. But yeah, right. I mean, a lot of those problems are potentially fixable out of the sideboard. I think spell Pierce in particular is very strong right now because of Nexus and mono red. And I don't know if those are the two most popular decks because Nexus certainly has a kind of high barrier to entry where, you know, you have to be playing this sort of complicated deck and you also just have to hate yourself, I think, to put yourself through that. Uh, or, you know, there are the people that enjoy it, which is like a different kind of kind of crazy. But yeah, mm. Spell Pierce, I think, is very, very good. Could potentially just be a main deck card in this deck, but certainly is doing a lot of work out of the sideboard to solve some of the problems I mentioned. Yep. Frilled Mystic is tight, though. 
Uh, it is. It's a powerful card. I, I just like how clean this list is and what it's looking to accomplish. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what I want to lose here for Frilled Mystic. Maybe like Growth Chamber Guardian is the most incongruent card. Sorry to reference another card in the deck, but I, I don't know. I don't know where we're getting our Frilled Mystics in here. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know either. I, I just remember watching Wyatt stream a deck that was basically like, all, all sorcery speed creatures, but also had Frilled Mystic randomly. So he wasn't trying to set up like a punish really, but Frilled mm. Mystic when you are just ahead on battlefield is also completely fine. Uh, it could just be that, you know, the, the format is getting pointed in a direction where decks need to be getting on the battlefield earlier potentially. And then that sort of strategy is kind of invalidated, but whatever. Right, right. Could be. Anyway, next deck is from Oyola. This is a more traditional Esper control. We see two copies of Island alongside three Kaya's Wrath. Also one Field of Ruin. This doesn't seem right to me. Four Absorbs, a bunch of Chemister's Insights, a bunch of four mana cards in general. So I like Esper, just not this Esper. Mostly agree. There's some cards I'd really like to see. I mean, this is a blue-white deck splashing for Kaya's Wrath and the Eldest Reborn and Vraska's Contempt, which is not the way you want to do this, I don't think. Uh, there's there's better approaches. I would love to see more discard. I know Absorb is like a very good counterspell, but that's not what you're in Esper for. You want to be doing other things. and Yeah, I'm passing on this one. For the time being, I've, I've seen better control lists. Next up is Jake Dershimer, longtime listener of the game podcast, playing a deck I wrote about actually with some minor changes. This is Mar Divas. Is that what we're calling it? Uh, I've seen that. And I've also seen Judith Priest as well as another yes. name for the deck. Yes. So 24 glorious Mardu lands, a bunch of crappy creatures. Uh, some ways to utilize them as uh, sacrifice fodder. And yeah, just like some go wide stuff. Uh, Carnival Carnage doubles as an early removal spell for Mono Red that is also not dead against mid-ranger control and gives you a way to interact early, like start double spelling as soon as possible. A couple mortifies. And yeah, this I mean, this deck is aggressive. It has a late game. You have like card drawing engine. You're performing a lot of game actions on every turn, which generally means that you're accomplishing a lot of stuff. And uh, this deck basically does that, you know, just wins in sort of small increments by a lot. How's our mono red matchup? Not great. That's my concern. It's not a hundred percent. I mean, obviously when I wrote about this mono red was not the scourge uh, things like Alenda, the dusk rose and theater of horrors can go out of the main deck, but Having things like Footlight Fiend and Carnival Carnage was certainly a nod to that sort of deck. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I think basically what this deck needs is to just get rid of the Alendas and probably the Midnight Reapers and play four copy of Heroic Reinforcements because they're going to stop you from getting traction early. But at some point, you're going to stick a few tokens and then Heroic Reinforcements is going to potentially allow you to turn the corner, which uh, is is, is how this deck is going to win. Okay, I like that approach. So if I were playing this deck, I, I would play four Heroic Reinforcements for sure. Also just a very good combo with Hero Precinct 1. Right. Very true. So yeah, this, this is kind of one of the Dark Horse picks, I think, because no one really knows how to build Judith correctly. And I, I say that in air quotes because, I don't know. Yeah, Judith, uh, haven't seen a ton of Judith. 
on Arena in my games. I don't know if that's just my experience. You know, that's not a tremendous sample size. I think some of the heat has died down a little bit on Judith as people discovered how good Mono Red was. But there's still something here. Something will come out of Judith. The card is far too powerful to be a miss. And this deck is a good starting point. Like you said, there's some changes to be made, but they'll get there. From my experience playing with Mono Red, I played against some Mardu decks and some red-black decks. And they've basically taken like the more aggressive approach to playing Judith, which is sort of what I was doing with the heroic reinforcements where they're playing Fireblade artist. I want to say the RB two, two haste. Right. And not necessarily going up to like spawn a mayhem or whatever, because that card is fairly rancid against mono red, but they, they basically completely ignore, you know, trying to stabilize and like, you know, when eventually they're just like, eh, screw it, I'm racing, whatever. And they do a pretty good job of it. So those are the the versions of Judith decks that I've mostly been losing to with Mono Red. Gotcha. Uh, next up is by Abe the Mage. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like Golgari splashing Crassus, except it went completely down the rabbit hole and came out as Simic splashing some BB cards in Ravenous Chupacabra and Vraska's Contempt. Do we need them? Like, isn't there something else we can do with those slots that right. is just better? Yep. Uh, that's that's kind of where I came to, too. I mean, black obviously gives you some sideboard cards. You get more spot removal. Fine finality is still present in the deck, and having things like duress is obviously very important. But just something about splashing, like, BB for mana removal spells does not sit well with me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you could, you could ask more from your deck. So, again... Llanowar Elves, Incubation Druid, Hadana's Climb, Hydroid Crassus. That's legit. That is that is a package. That is kind of Simic's thing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, I, I'll also say this deck has 12 Shocklands, uh, no Explorer package, probably just getting brutalized by Mono Red is my guess. So you're saying the Ravenous Chupacabra is not going to save you? No, I don't think so. That's a bold take. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I forgive you. Next deck is by Genmatsu. This is another Simic deck, although this one has three unclaimed territory to help fuel its Steel Leaf champions, although they also have four basic islands. I don't know how I feel about that. But this is a weird mishmash of uh, like druids and elves and some Zaganas with a bunch of Hadana's climbs and a couple spell pierces. This deck is weird. I, I don't understand a lot of what we're doing here. The four islands scares me to death along with Steel Leaf Champion, that's that's too many islands. There's a problem there. Whatever it is that you think you need those islands for, there either needs to be less of them, or uh, something needs to fundamentally change about this deck. I, I don't think it's set up well to find success. There's there's better versions of everything it wants to do, is my take. Well, you have Land of War Elves and Incubation Druid. So, in theory, if you have three lands, you can still cast Steel Leaf Champion. Maybe casting it on turn two is a little bit more difficult. But if on turn three you cast it and leave open the spell pierce, that's fine. And I just suppose that they valued being able to cast Hadana's Climb, which necessitates the four islands, but also really, really, really wanted Steel Leaf Champion instead of something like Thrashing Brontodon. I don't know. Yeah, I think you just make that concession and play the slightly weaker card. I also, this is a little bit besides the point, I don't think Zagana is all that good of a card. And it's a strange inclusion here. I mean, it's not like it's awful or anything. It, it's fine, I guess. It just isn't super impactful. Given how many powerful, powerful things there are in this format, 
Zagana seems not quite there on power level. I uh, haven't been excited to explore that card. Well, Zagana with no explore creatures is kind of awkward because you really have to work with this deck to actually get to draw a card on the ETB. But Zagana with Hadana's Climb just basically giving whatever you want trample is kind of strong, right? Sure, but Hadana's Climb is doing a lot to make your creature very difficult to deal with anyway. I'm not sure you need to go down that road. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad card. I just think you could find better uses of the slot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think the the trample is probably very relevant in racing situations against mono red. But if you're finding yourself in those spots a lot, maybe you're not supposed to play Simic. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Next deck is another podcast listener, Andy Peters, and his deck is sweet. Uh, this is yeah. like Turbo Fog, but only one Nexus and Murmuring Mystic as sort of a kill condition. Uh, this, yeah, teamer deck with Wilderness Reclamation. Chapin kind of blew my mind earlier this week with his article on Wilderness Reclamation, where he was just using it in a bunch of fancy ways that didn't necessarily involve Nexus of Fate, and this is one of them. And it's basically just like, you do your thing, control the board, play Reclamation. It is effectively a free enchantment because you just get to play it, and then you have Counterspell Mana open again. You get to cast your Chemister's Insights or what have you. And then on just some random end step, you're going to float a bunch of mana, explosion for a bunch, and... Yeah, that, that's just one way to win the game that doesn't involve having the time walks, but there's a, a Nexus of Fate in here for Spice. Right, just for value, the value Nexus of Fate. Wilderness Reclamation is incredible. I said my piece last week, my number one card in the set. Uh, nothing has happened this week to change my mind. I have played infinite Wilderness Reclamation decks. I like it in band control. I love the Nexus builds. I love the gate Nexus builds. I think I'm about to crack that one wide open. The version I was working on today feels so much better than earlier lists I've had. It's just incredibly powerful. The things the deck does sometimes, it feels like you're playing vintage, quite frankly. And Wilderness Reclamation is the key to that. It unlocks a tremendous amount of mana. I've expansion explosion my opponents for 20 so many times today. It just keeps happening. They must be very <laughs> sick of it. But yeah, this is a, a powerful take. Maybe the strongest use of Murmuring Mystic we've ever seen. You're going to make a board very quickly in this deck. I like Wilderness Reclamation where you're really pushing the mana, like you're ramping a little bit more, but you don't have to. That's the thing is this card is so powerful that as long as you have enough instants in your deck, you're probably going to get paid on it because it's free anyway. I don't know if you need four copies here. I think it's quite possible you get away with three. One of the things I said about Wilderness Reclamation is, is even though it stacks, the first copy is so incredibly powerful that you're not concerned with stacking it because generally one's enough to do basically whatever you want. So maybe you trim a little bit there, but I'm nitpicking. I think this is an awesome take and I think we'll just keep seeing more and more out of these wilderness reclamation decks until we see something really, really special. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff going on here. I will note that teamer as a whole has fairly weak sideboard options, but regardless, this deck finds a way to make do. So I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's options out there. I, I like Firemind's research here. I think it'll probably be quite good once you add Wilderness Reclamation into the mix. One of the things about Firemind's research is it's pretty hard mana-gated, but Wilderness, Wilderness Reclamation fixes that for you without question. Yep. Next deck is by Peter Fred, uh, another Mardu deck, although this one more closely resembles the Boros decks 
uh, from last season, just like a bunch of one drops and Judith and heroic reinforcements, which is certainly a take, certainly a thing you can do in this format. Yeah, probably a little bit more aggressive and probably finding a better matchup against Mono Red, I bet. They're just looking to race them, turn the corner. Some lifelink with the Hunted Witness token as well as Healer's Hawk. Obviously vulnerability with all these small bodies around and Chain Whirler can do a number on them. So that's that's a little scary. But you can play in such a fashion where you're able to minimize potential damage. Uh, I still don't think you're positive against Mono Red, but it seems like you have a plan here. And I like that. Yeah, I mean, two two copies of Takatli Honor Guard in the sideboard, so you don't have to worry about Chain Whirler. Right, everything will be fine. Yeah, that'll solve all your problems. <laughs> Next deck by the Nair. Uh, three Rhythm of the Wild main deck. So we are seeing a decent amount of uh, Gruul in this decklist dump, and this is straight Gruul. And Rhythm of the Wild is a combo with Nullhide Ferox. Uh, I've run into some lists that have Legion War Boss along that that alongside that card, and I don't honestly know if that's a combo or not. But uh, other than that, this deck has basically about what you would expect, except for no Skargon Hellkite at the top. Yeah, strange choice there. I also think there's a case to be made for Galta in this list too, as you had Nullite Ferrex. Obviously, you're getting on board a little bit more. So I'm surprised with some of the card choices here. I, I guess I'd like them to lean a little bit more into Rhythm of the Wild once you decide to go that way. Yep, I'm down with that. Uh, sideboard has three copies of Cinder Vines and two Sorcerer's Spyglass, and I imagine going into uh, the first leagues of this format, people were more concerned about Turbo Fog with Teferi, and I think that that's a pretty good package, actually, for Gruul to board against them, but now the decks are splintering a little bit where Wilderness Reclamation is showing up in a bunch of different spots with or without Teferi. Teferi showing up in a bunch of spots with or without Nexus of Fate. And mm. basically, I'm not super high on Sorcerer's Spyglass, but I would be really happy uh, keeping the Cinder Vines in the board. Yeah, I'm with that. Next deck is Pedro Martinez, Sultai, Merfolk Branchwalker, Zagana, Incubation Druid, Adana's Climb, a lot of the normal stuff. This one has Hostage Taker instead of Ravenous Chupacabra, Cast Down instead of Raska's Contempt. So the mana's a little bit better. They do recognize that they need to splash for some interaction, and I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, that seems much more reasonable to me. I like I like this approach better. Again, still low on Zagana, sideboard Wild Growth Walker at least, so you're able to leverage the Explore package in post-board games. Uh, so yeah, a better take on this archetype for sure. A little bit more disciplined, I think. And I guess the big problem I'm going to have here is Mrs. Crassus is not present. There is no Crassus, which is the reason to do things like this, I think. So yeah, what's, uh, what's the point? Yeah. Fix that. And then I, I think we're on to something. Get these Zaganas out of here, play Crassus, and then you're looking at a pretty good deck. Well, especially once you have like two Biogenic Ooze, two Carnage Tyrant, it's like, you recognize that this deck could make do with some amount of late game. You're mm-hmm. you're just probably failing to realize that Crassus is mostly better than those cards. Or you realize it's 30 tickets on Magic Online, which is also a possibility. It probably wasn't before this event. That's true. It's definitely had some run-up in recent days. Next deck is by Uk, U-K-K. This is just Abzan stuff, sort of. Primarily Orzov, History of Benalia, some Angels, like Seraph of the Scales, removal spells, some Planeswalkers. I don't know, man. 
Absin cards. Uh, so there's cards I like in this deck. One of them is Mortify. I'm happy to see that card. I think it's very important. Another one is Orzov Enforcer, a card I keep wanting to work into a lot of my decks. And I don't know. I mean, on its face, it's a little underwhelming, right? Like this isn't the most impressive thing you've ever seen. In play, I think it does far more than you would expect. It trades with a mono red body and leaves behind another blocker. All these huge gruel creatures it trades one for one with leaves behind a blocker it's impervious to goblin chain whirler on the front side so i think this card's underplayed right now there's no particularly great home for it and that's one of my problems with it so maybe that will develop over time but a card i like for sure seraph of the scales not as high on i have been completely underwhelmed by this card thus far i've heard some people say the opposite my experience is that it just doesn't really matter all that much uh, at four mana. There's better things to be doing and body's not the most relevant I've ever seen. So yeah, passing on that card, but I do like Orzov Enforcer here a lot. Seraph of the Scales is very close to Rekindling Phoenix for me. I feel like they sort of fill the same role where it's like this, this mid-range G creature with evasion that also gives you some value if it dies. But that said, I do think that it is weaker than Rekindling Phoenix, but there are a lot of decks that can use that sort of four mana mid-rangey creature and anything that is base Orzov is is definitely it, you know. So I do think that this card serves a purpose and is going to continue to see play, but I'm not blown away by it or anything. Okay, that's a that's a good middle of the road take. I, I see what you're getting at. It's playable. Right. Next deck is from VTCLA, and I don't actually know how many decks VTCLA got posted, but I think he was going for five towards the end. He just he five owed with four different decks or something, and may have gotten punished because he was also posting all of his decks on Twitter. So, so people just uh, picked them up, probably. But yeah, picked them up. Probably five owed got posted in his stead or something. But uh, this right. is a pretty sweet green blue elf ball sort of deck that tries to uh, combo stony strength with incubation druid to also then power out big hydroid crassus yeah uh let's not forget marwin the nurturer either you can also do some stony strength stuff there so i love it huge hydroid crassus is the order of the day vtcla has leaned to that very hard with plenty of mana generators here we're dealing four lanor elves four Druid of the Cal, four Incubation Druid, three Marwyn. This deck produces a tremendous amount of mana and then gets paid with Beast Whisperer and Hydroid Crassus. Obviously a very linear, very vulnerable deck if people are trying to hate it, but no one was targeting this this week. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if this archetype is one that has legs and can pick up from here or if this is just the one shot. The thing about Baker is he's going to play this list once and move on to something new, even if right. it's very good. So he won't be the person to bring it into the limelight. It'll be on someone else to pick this up and make it a known archetype. But I think on a power level basis, it's strong enough to be a contender in the format. It's just very linear. It, it amuses me to no end. The people like Baker who are like, oh, I have an idea. I'll build this cool deck. And then they 5-0. They Sometimes pretty easily, you know, I think this was one of the decks that went two one across the board, but I could be wrong about that. But then at the end of it, they're like, oh, this deck is terrible or oh, I have a new idea. I'm going to go try that, you know, and then they just immediately get off it and just like quickly make your mark on the world, basically confuse the Internet. And then you're just off to, to the next thing. 
right? The brewer's curse. You can never settle on anything. There's always another idea in your head that you have to explore. Well, he's he's a brewer, but a stone cold killer too, because he wins all the time with these decks. You know, a lot of the brewers, oh, yeah. like in my ca- in my case, I'm like ah oh, three two, like all right, it you know has these pros or cons or whatever. But it's just like very rarely do I just like five zero and then immediately move off a deck. Yeah, it's happened, but not very often. That's for sure. Not as often as it happens to Baker. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, not not five times before the the deck list get posted. Right. So next deck is by Falcon and I don't know, Boros, two pride of the conquerors, normal stuff looking for any new cards. And I see none. No, nothing. I I mean, like, I don't, I'm not saying this deck is bad. There's just nothing to really talk about here. If this deck is good, uh, it's because the format hasn't adapted to it, but it's hard for a card for card deck from the last format to keep pace with all these new tools. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard. And no, I don't agreed. see any reason why this would do so. For a lot of people, I'm sure that this deck showing up in the decklist dump is kind of comforting, right? Because it's like the things that were old are not necessarily bad, right? It's like right. the way that the Ravnica sets work is that the first one introduces some of the guilds. The other one introduces some of the guilds. Most of that stuff is on equal power level, whereas a normal set happens and it's like they introduce some powerful stuff. The next one kind of like power creeps a little bit. The next one power creeps a little bit more to create like this churn. But Ravnica is just like, no, we're going to make everyone's guild playable. The set one stuff just tends to have a longer shelf life because it came out earlier, you know? Yeah. It just seems like when all these branching paths open, and all these decks unlock a lot of new cards and splashes, it's always going to be challenging for the previous guilds to stay on top. But as far as like a guild on guild comparison, this is certainly on pace with other guilds. Yep. Next deck is by Denise Vichelexi. Yeah, Vichelexi. There's there's no way in hell I pronounced that correctly. And I apologize. I I think it's Denise Vichelexi. That's my guess. I hope I'm right. Okay, one Timber Gorge in this Gruel deck because uh, people are going out of their way to try and support Steel Leaf Champion, but this is the one where I got the inspiration. The four Collision Colossus, two copies of Thud, three copies of Galta Primal Hunger. This is just the beatdowns. Yeah, this is wild. Is there supposed to be a Rhythm of the Wild in this deck? I think Colossus is kind of making up for the fact that your things are not going to have haste, but it it's really awkward okay. to try and Colossus thud someone when you have Nullhide Ferox, although I guess that's still the clean five mana combo on the next turn. It still just makes it more unwieldy than it has to. Yeah, well, I, I like this combo-based approach. If this is something that people aren't aware of, you'll steal a lot of games with it, and the format has to kind of adapt around it for it not to be dangerous. This could be a great week one archetype when people aren't thinking about it and you can just 16 people out of nowhere having done a few plinks earlier, or maybe they just shocked themselves twice and now they're dead to your cult of Colossus thud. Uh, This is cool. I I like this approach. It seems weird to me not to have rhythm here, but I get the concern. I would try and find a way to make it work, I think. Sure. Sure. So I think I mentioned before on the podcast that Josh Cho has never beaten an opponent who has fling in their deck. Right. Is this the new thing he has to worry about just losing to? Yeah, absolutely. And when when I made this this deck on Arena, my deck name was GG Cho. <laughs> so in, in case he listens, to him losing to this. In case he he's listening, I want him to know that. Good. 
Good. I'm glad. Next deck is from Harry 13, Esper Control. Uh, we have some Ritual of Soots, which combo with your island. And I don't know. There's four Teferis and a bunch of like three, two, and one ofs. So I don't know. This is just how people are going to build their control decks, right? They're just going to put in a bunch of cards. They all kind of do similar things. And this is where we end up, I guess. Yeah, I guess this is supposed to be a white splash version. And we're not looking at Wraths here. Instead, we have Ritual of Soot. But in this white splash version, we also have Lyra Dawnbringer. And one of the cards we're splashing for is Revitalize, which, I mean, maybe Revitalize is that important. It seems like you could just do more Moment of Cravings if that's really your concern. So we're take... I, these control lists just need to sort themselves out and figure out exactly what they're trying to achieve and the best way to do so. And I don't think they've gotten there yet. These are all in very rough states right now. And as time goes on, these numbers will start to find a middle ground and we'll find the best versions of all these lists. Yep. Next deck is by Usung Q or Usunk. I don't know. Uh, Straight Rakdos, Judith. Uh, this is kind of a weirder take than... Most of the ones that I've seen where this is like a Judith kind of good stuff deck. They have Legion War Boss, Ravenous Chupacabra, uh, Spawn of Mayhem, a bunch of like big stuff like Angrath and Rick's Mighty mm. Reveler and stuff, but also just like Skewer the Critics and Lightning Strikes. But the thing that I guess that is worth noting that outside of like Ravenous Chupacabra, like a lot of these cards are just almost certainly going to deal your opponent damage, similarly to what we were talking about with the red deck before. So, you know, whether it's Spawn of Mayhem or Legion War Boss, like you're still getting in like these chip shots here and there that are eventually going to lead to you burning your opponent out. Right, and then that all goes to play with things like Judith plus Legion War Boss, which is, you know, a cool little interaction I haven't seen too much of, probably because they compete for the same three mana slot. So there's some of that going on. I think there's a lot of mana tensions here and the curve runs a little high. Like I'm not sure why we have two Angraths in our 22 land deck um, with only really like Rick's Matty Reveler to get us there in terms of altering our draws in any fashion. So some weird stuff here, but some good interactions I also like. Yeah, definitely a cool and interesting take. Uh, so th- this is the stuff I want to see. I want to see what other people are brewing and working with, even if I don't necessarily feel like this is the best direction. Right. I'm with you. Just want to know what's possible, man. Next deck is by Sign Blind Man. Uh, this is another teamer deck. Hadonis Climb, Vivian Reed, and just a bunch of the good cards. Growth Chamber Guardian, Gruel Spellbreaker, more Zaganas. Uh, we have the Explore package with the wild growth walkers in the sideboard rekindling phoenix etc etc so basically just a bunch of good stuff yeah stop zaganane and this is fine just more more crasses please and then we're fine gruel spellbreaker into zagana man yeah that's that's okay and it's nice (laughs) but we can do more we can ask more from our decks yeah Next deck is from Weather Report, and this is Big Red splashing Fine Finality and Status Statue to combo with our Goblin Chain Whirlers, and to a lesser extent, I suppose, Siege Gang Commander. Yeah, this this is a person who took away one of VTCLA's uh, 5-0s, because yep. he also 5-0'd with basically this same deck. And one of the changes he made, which I would also make, is Hellkite as opposed to Siege Gang Commander, definitely do that i think hellcat is a way better top end than siege gang commander but this whole status statue chain oiler hellkite slash siege gang commander thing is real it works 
uh, if boards are getting bogged down, I mean, how many of these decks have we looked at that are 32 creature decks and just right. big bodies all over the place that are so, so vulnerable to something like Goblin Chain Whirler status? This archetype feels underexplored at the moment. I don't think I've seen enough of it as it stands. So do more with this. More status statue decks, please. I, I think it's a very good combination. Like I said, Hellkite's a clear replacement for Siege Game Commander in my eyes, but a real deck to be sure. Yep, I've been messing around with this on Arena, and it's it's been pretty decent. Mm-hmm. We're, we're at the last deck. Ariane, Ariane, I'm not sure which. This is Esper Midrange, 25 lands. Creatures are four hero, precinct one, two hostage taker, two thief of sanity. And then the vast, vast majority of the rest of the deck is multicolored spells to fuel hero. So we have Thought Warden, or Thought Erasure Warrant Warden, Absorb, Discovery Dispersal, Mortify, and then Vraska's Contempt to Fairy, some Karns, and some Treasure Maps. Uh, I like I like the spells. I like the instants and sorceries for the most part. I'm less high on the Planeswalkers. Like I said, I enjoyed this deck where it was working as an attrition deck with Basilica Bellhaunt as well as Disinformation Campaign. We have a couple of surveils here in Thought Erasure, as well as Discovery Dispersal. You can play that grindy game where you just run your opponent out of resources. That, in combination with Bell Haunts, is very good. It's an absolute mono-red killer. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything super surprising when I tell you how bad Basilica Bell Haunt beats them up. It's everything you want against mono-red. Four toughness, plus three life, they lose a card. All those things are fantastic. Uh, these archetypes have some legs, even if I'm not a huge fan of this particular build, I like a lot of what's going on here. And I like the proactive thought erasure stuff. Like I said, in my experience, Hero of Precinct 1 was a little underwhelming. I think you really need to translate those 1-1s one into something. And yeah, you can I do, do so with Judith, or you can do so with Priest, or you can even do so with March of the Multitudes. But what are the 1-1s one doing here? Chump blocking? Like where you've completely taken control of the game, you're able to turn the corner very quickly off the 1-1s. One but if you've completely taken control of the game, you can do that with any card. It's not super important that it be Hero Precinct 1. Uh, it being a huge route matters a little bit. It can get a block in, but there, there's better cards here. Even if it's just the Death Touch Orzhov creature that I mentioned earlier, sometimes that seems better to me because at least it's trading with something meaningful and doing so potentially at a two-for-one against Mono Red. So I, I would probably take that angle instead. But there is something to these Esper mid-range decks, to be sure. I would not sacrifice a ton of stuff to play Hero Precinct 1, especially in you know this sort of like clunky needs very specific answers mid-range deck but i don't think this deck is really sacrificing anything so if the question were do i play a normal esper control deck or play something like this with hero i would probably lean towards the hero one even if the one ones don't necessarily translate to something because like you mentioned like when you're ready to to actually turn the corner like all of that stuff is already on the battlefield right so you get to attack that turn it's kind of just like having haste you know uh that's fair and it, it certainly speeds up your clock by some degree it, it all depends like what those slots are competing with what other options you have uh if you have to be on the board that early so there there's going to be a spot for hero in archetypes that look like this i have been underwhelmed but this is you know, a different list than the one I looked at. And maybe right. here it's more important to be able to turn the corner like that. You know, my particular version had Wrath. 
So having a, a Wrath to catch you back up changes whether you need that two drop a little bit. So going Wrath into Basilica Bellhaunt, it was often enough. It had mm-hmm. Basilica Bellhaunt, which is a, a big game changer as well as a catch-up mechanism. So all those things matter a lot, whether the card's going to be impactful or want or not. I, I, I'm just saying I think I want more out of the one ones. That's where I'm really inclined to look for reasons to play hero. Here I'm going to look for some other options first. It's possible that we could also find something that pumps the one ones that is not also a heinous magic card. Maybe I had ethereal absolution in the deck. It was sometimes good, oftentimes meaningless. So it's clunky. Yeah. I think it's one of those cards that's going to shine really brightly in some spots and just be a complete blank in others. And that's not really what we're looking for when we're trying to play a consistent game of magic across, you know, 15 rounds or whatever agreed so that that kind of wraps it up for the deck dump we are going to scg indie this weekend we're doing some commentary for the first time so that should be exciting but yeah given that it is wednesday before the event and i mean i guess i probably know the answer i probably know what you're gonna say but like what would you be looking at playing for this event what do you think i'm gonna say well, you're going to say Wilderness Reclamation, and I think you're also going to be you know, doing some Nexus of Fate stuff, but that's not a given. And I also think that you're going to be doing Gate stuff, even though I don't particularly like that. But yeah, that would be my guess. I have two options. The first, you are correct. I Look, every incarnation of this Gate deck I come across, it gets better and better. The version I have now, I've only come to today. I was playing it a bunch before we started the podcast across, uh, I don't have exact numbers. It was probably 10 or so games. I think I was like eight and two. The version feels like it's humming now. It feels like it has great game against red. I've got good sideboard plans coming together. I keep finding more and more pieces that make the deck more consistent, uh, more explosive. And right now I'm doing expansion explosion stuff. I've added the gate angel who's bridging me into the late game much more effectively. Kind of got rid of some of the clunkier stuff like emergency powers that I wrote about in my article this week. Uh, I posted my list on Twitter. You can go have a look there. Scroll through my Twitter history at Brian Go and you'll see it there. And also I've been discussing it all week over in our Discord for all of our patrons and they've been working with me. I know a lot of people are finding a ton of success with, with it. So I'm inclined to give that a run. If I were not doing that, I'd be playing Golgari, splashing Krasis. I think it just has game against everything. I think having that grindy card advantage engine is a huge upgrade for the deck. And it's a very safe pick. If I wasn't 100% sure in the Gates list, that's where I would fall. But I'm getting close to 100% sure in the Gates list. So I I think were I playing this event, I'd spend the next two days really hashing it out and I'd have Gates ready to go. So if I were playing... It would depend on what my goals were. If I want to just like play something weird and fun, it would probably be some sort of wilderness reclamation expansion explosion deck. And I doubt I would be going super hard on Nexus. I would probably just have that package in some sort of mid-ranger control deck. Uh, If I wanted to have fun with like a side of winning, I would probably play uh, Mardu Hero Precinct 1 Judith Heroic Reinforcements because... I think of the versions, one with four Footlight Fiend, four Carnival is probably going to do the best against Monterey just because you have the cheapest ways to interact with them early, even though those cards don't necessarily tag everything that they're attacking you with. But Heroic Reinforcements allows you to turn the corner. You have a lot of good sideboard options. Uh, you're proactive, doing fast stuff. But 
if I was just trying to like win win, I would try to figure out explore package with wild growth walker and hydro crassus. But assuming that did not work out, I think the best deck I have in a vacuum is probably just Gruel. Okay. And would it be the the fl- the thud version of Gruel? No, it would it would be Rhythm of the Wild Galta. I haven't figured out how to kind of make up for a lot of the inconsistency issues with the thud one. So I would basically just be playing Thorn Lieutenant and some amount of Thrashing Brontodons to go with my Gruel Spellbreakers, put up these big walls against Mono Red, and then just try and turn the corner really quickly with Rhythm of the Wild or Skargan Hellkite, Galta, whatever. What do you think people are going to do? What's going to be the most played deck at SCG Indianapolis? Gotta be Mono Red. Not only is it cheap, but it's powerful, and you know people think it is like potentially broken. So I, I, I just think that there's basically no way that Mono Red is not the most played deck. I think you're right, and I think the best players in the room know that and will be ready for it, because I think the tools are available to prepare for it. And I don't think there'll be a lot of mono red in the top eight. I do think it'll be the most played deck. I mean, the tools exist, but I don't think it's that easy. I really don't. I mean, you you do have to work for it, and a lot of the tools require you to be somewhat nuanced. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you gain a bunch of life if you actually can't get any traction against them either, you know? So, like... Oh, Sure. The, the games, and they have a bunch of, like, card advantage now. I, there's Light Up the Stage, Risk Factor, Flame of Keld, and Experimental Frenzy. And I don't know, man. Like, th- their deck is actually just, like, way more resilient than I think a lot of people give it credit for. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see come Indianapolis. You know, will people make the right adjustments? Will they find the right technology to beat Mono Red? That's always a big question going into week one. I think this time the answer is going to be yes, but we'll see how things shake out. I'm definitely interested to see. I mean, as always, if people prove me wrong, I am genuinely excited and happy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not that I'm not going to be excited and happy for this tournament anyway, but, you know, a little cherry yeah, this on this is a hype tournament, a really hype tournament. I'm, I'm super excited to, to see what happens. It may actually be that if I wasn't commentating this, I'm, I might actually be flying to it to play. I think I'm that excited for this week one format. It's going to be cool to see what happens. I mean, I would want to play if I could teleport there. And as soon as I'm <laughs> done with the tournament, I could teleport home. However, there is just the option of playing arena and watching the coverage from the comfort of my couch. So I don't know. It's tough. However, front row seat and getting to commentate, I think, is rad. And I'm not going to miss that for anything. Right. That's a slam dunk. Willing to take the flight for that one. Yeah, and you've you've broken bones and whatnot recently, and you're still going, as far as I know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I had to drag my suit on over my bloody stump, I would do that to cast this event. I'm I'm pumped for this. So it doesn't matter what bones are broken. I was always going to be there. Just if you see me, maybe don't give me a hug or a pat on the back <laughs> or anything like that, because I am a little fragile. Well, look, man, I'm going to be there and maybe you don't like asking for help or whatever, but I, it would be an honor to, if, if I could just like help you suit up, you know, I'm there for you. I can help you put your jacket on. I know you got my back and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it as a team. We going to be all right. Mm-hmm. All right. To cap off the episode, as always, we have our question from the fine people of the game podcast discord. And this is a wonderful little community that we've built. I think we have pretty close to like 1500 people in here and 
I don't think I've ever really seen less than 300 people online recently. Uh, it's just active at all times. It is great. And if you want access to this wonderful thing, you just got to go to our Patreon page and support us there. And we really appreciate it. But yeah, every weekend we pick a question. We solicit our Discord members for random questions. We pick our favorite one and we answer it. Send them a pack of Game Podcast sleeves. And yeah, the question this week is from Jake Dershimer, who is also one of the people who 5 would this week. And Jake asks, is there any concern with the rise of arena that players will have even less data to work with going forward. The recent change to magic online results, publishing parameters seem to be trending in the opposite direction, but arena complicates things. So I don't know if you want to give us some background on this before we actually get into it, but I think that would be very helpful. Yeah. Well, so before we did the cast, I popped on magic online and quite frankly, I have not opened magic online since Ravnica Allegiance has come out, which kind of tells you where my relationship with the program is right now. But I was curious how many people we have in standard leagues. And across the friendly and competitive standard leagues, there are less than 400 people currently playing in a standard league on Magic Online during release week of one of the most hype sets we have ever seen that has all these amazing decks that people, I I mean, I just know from discord traffic and what people are talking about. People are hyped on this format. They're dying to play it and they're playing it. They're just not doing it on magic online anymore. Uh, These numbers are incredibly low. I I think these numbers in this timeframe would float closer to around 1500, 2000 people playing magic online with past sets all those people are on arena now and they're not coming back. That's it. This is not, there's not going to be any return to magic online in the future. Uh, We have something much better in our hands and that's changing the amount of data we have access to. And I think we saw that with this deck dump, you know, we may have talked about it forever. So this is just as long as one of our past episodes, but this is a smaller field than we've looked at in the past for week one formats. And it's not because this format is less diverse or there's any fewer ideas out there. I mean, I know of a ton of decks I see regularly on arena that are not reflected here because there's just not enough players playing to capture everything that's being played right now. And that's a weird spot to be in. I I think Jake's right that these magic online results are not going to yield as much data as they have in the past. And I could see how that could be concerning But I think we're turning a corner now and we're looking at third party efforts, you know, be it the folks over at Mox Insights who are gathering data from every GP. You know, there's more articles on Channel Fireball that is presenting more tournament data and more information. And, you know, you've stepped up with the Arena Deck List Twitter account sharing all these Arena Decks because they have to get out there some way. Jake's right that there's less first party data being given to us from Watsi, people are stepping up to fill that void though. There's still the information out there. It's going to be a little bit harder to find. You have to know where to go to look for it. We'll keep you posted here though. We'll keep providing that information. It's just a new world. Everything's changing. You know, Magic Online is changing. Arena is obviously the most tremendous change Magic has undergone uh, since the release of Magic Online probably. And we have to adapt to this new world and do things differently. And the data is not in the same places as it was before. It still exists, though. You just got to look for it. And we'll be able to piece it all together just the same. Well, there's there's a difference in, in data, right? There is 
things like matchup percentages and things just like new data, like hero, here's like a cool new deck or interaction that you could try. Right. Mm -hmm. And we are definitely getting more data on the matchup percentage side of things, but I am supremely concerned that we might just be losing out on a bunch of data for potential good deck lists. I mean, like what if, for example, in a hypothetical world that is maybe not so hypothetical that the optics for arena are that mono red is effectively everywhere and overpowered and like best of one is kind of to blame, but also like skewer the critics. What were you thinking? Uh, All this sort of stuff. But little do we know the top of mythic is just populated with all of these decks that smash mono red. Like, are we ever going to get to see those decks? I mean, some people might tweet them. Sure. And I might retweet them, but what if I just don't see them? Or what if those people don't tweet? Like, then the optics for magic are, are just going to remain pretty poor. And I think that that's dangerous. I do think that having every single instance of information is potentially very dangerous, but having basically zero information is also very dangerous because then, you know, like someone says, Ma, Monored's busted. And then a bunch of other people say, start saying Monored's busted. And then that's all you hear when other people are just like, you know, quietly crushing it and they don't have a problem with it. And if that data were released, then the format would actually churn and people would not have an issue with it and whatever. You know, I do think that some amount of data is just healthy for a format. I think you're right. I think it's not like there's a data shutdown. There's still data coming out of the five O's. I think in a lot of ways, our Twitter account is filling some of that gap. I think what we're retweeting is pretty equivalent to a Moto 5.0. And the PTQs are still on Moto. They'll still be there. Uh, so we'll have those data points to look at. I think the mocks is still around. Yep. So we'll still have that data point to look at. I, I mean, the real tent poles of the Magic Online metagame haven't gone anywhere. Now, it'll be interesting to see what participation is like. Is participation going to trend down? I know there's a lot of uncertainty around the Pro Tour right now. People don't know what the Pro Tour is going to look like. They don't know if there's a path to the Pro Tour for them. And and maybe that changes participation in these events. Maybe events do just become more about laddering and you know best of one. Who knows where things are going to go? But I, I think ultimately we'll find a way to relay the most pertinent data. I think we'll still be able to analyze big events. There's still GPs. There's still all this other stuff, SCGs on a weekly basis, where we'll be able to see exactly what's going on. And I think if there is churn, those events will ultimately reflect that. And more so than the 5.0 events ever really did, because you could see a deck in a 5.0, which would be the answer. And unless someone called attention to it, it wasn't necessarily going to change the format via its existence anyway. There's plenty of decks that showed up in five O's and just slid right off the radar and were never heard from again, even where there were potential answers. So it's different. I still think the potential is there for us to be fine though. I I think there'll be enough replacement data where ultimately we won't see much of a change. I mostly disagree with that last point because I don't know. Maybe people are just getting better at it now or whatever. But the most recent example is I think it I think it was Ryume who five owed with the the eight Drake list of is it 
leading up to the Invitational. And it's like that that happened that week, right? And we recorded our podcast. I said that like that was kind of my favorite deck from the deck dump. And then I I wrote about it and included kind of my updated take on that deck. And it just it crushed the Invitational. Like it did really well. It was, I think, the only deck to Edo standard. And it just became the the normal Drake deck from there on out until the rest of the format. And it happened because it was just like this random spot in history where one person five owed with it once. You know, and didn't I guess that deck do well in a mox too, though. I, like, didn't it finish first in a mox? I don't think so. I could be wrong about that, which kind of invalidates my entire point. But regardless, I do think that the thing that I'm most concerned about is right now, or at least like pre arena, we had access to the most winningest decks, right? So if you 5 0'd and your deck was unique, it was like you were going to get your specific deck published. So if your deck was like entirely brand new and you 5 would it was going up 100%. People were going to see it. They could react to it however they wanted. If you do well in an SCG or a Mox or a Grand Prix or whatever, your deck is getting published. And now if the vast majority of people are moving to Arena, I mean, it's possible these decks show up in Magic Online, but obviously we're, we're almost certainly going to get less data from Magic Online. It's, it is possible that there are these decks that are winning a lot at a high clip that we just don't see or like don't see for a while, you know, and I'm just not used to that. And I'm kind of scared about that. I just think there'll be word coming from high mythic, like these things get talked about and, you know, you look like someone you mentioned Austin Yost's deck, which has been at the top of the mythic metagame. He's, he's been like top 10 on the mythic leaderboard for a while now. And under this new regime, that information shouldn't get out, right? It should get missed and it just sits there forever. And people don't know this, the proper way to build mono red, but here we are. It, it's that's, it's out. That's, like That's one person out of thousands of mythics. That's true. That's it's true. It's so small. I, I mean, it's like, yes, some of it is going to filter out, right? If, if someone breaks it and, you know, they're like 20 and two and, you know, ranked, number five mythic or whatever it's like yeah some people might be like yo i played against this really weird deck like here are the cards i saw and like here's how it played out or whatever but like for the most part someone's gonna be like oh that was weird and just move on meanwhile this deck is crushing everyone but it's not like all of his opponents get together and are then like oh wow their 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 deck is really good right for all you know that is just one instance of one person winning a match with that deck and you don't necessarily get to see the winningest deck that's kind of the thing that weirds me out no, I understand. I mean, I, I guess that's a valid point. I don't think it's worth panicking about. I think we need to see arena replacements, what arena tournaments look like. I mean, maybe there's arena data that's going to come forth at some point. We don't know for sure. So as cool. it exists now, as it exists now, I agree there's less data. There's potential holes, decks that can slip through. That may change over time. And and look, it's not like a deck can exist right now that we won't possibly get information about there's a deck that's crushing fnms right now somewhere that's just the future and it should take over the format but it's not going to filter to the top because that person doesn't play magic online it's it's not like it's a foolproof system as it stands there's just going to be new weaknesses in the system and i get that they're weird it's a little different world but ultimately it's just a new collection of data and there'll still be plenty of information that'll reach us and we'll have lots to talk about on a week-to-week basis i'm not worried about it Oh, we'll definitely have lots to talk about, man. I mean, we we could talk nonstop. We're going up on hour two of this episode, and like the first tournament of the format hasn't even happened yet. You right. know, 
we're going to have plenty right. to talk about, especially if SCG posts all of their day two deck lists, which uh, is very likely to have happened. So, I mean, we're going to get some data there for sure. That's obviously going to be very helpful. And in the meantime, I'll try not to freak out about the unknown stuff that could or could not be relevant. Good. Stay calm. Well, you know, I'll talk you through it when I see you in Indianapolis. I'll talk you off the ledge. We'll we'll get to a nice, comfortable place. There'll be I'll feed you data all weekend. I'll be slipping you deck lists to look at. We'll we'll keep you calm. We'll keep you sane. There'll be plenty of information. Uh, no promises about staying calm, but I'll do my best. I'm sure. Me, okay, me, that's fine. Me chugging a Red Bull during this podcast is not helping, but hey, whatever. Whatever you got to do to get through, man. I know you had a long day, so I'll, I'll allow the Red Bull in this instance. I've had a long week. I've had a long life, you know? That's true. That's true. That's game. Good luck.